0: I want to begin the message today by saying that I I believe that this message is uh, extremely timely and appropriate for the world in which we live in today. If there's one thing as a society uh, that we need to learn how to do is that we need to learn how to treat people right. We need to return to some sort of... human decency. I think somehow we've lost that. Just how to be decent to one another. How to treat people right. Because let's face it, your biggest problems and my biggest problems are people problems, right? Getting along with other people. I've often joked and heard it said that if the church wasn't full of people, it'd be okay. Of course, the church is people. It is the people. It's not a building. It is the people. And uh, our lives are full of people. So we must learn how to treat people right. James says, uh, very beginning, my brothers and sisters, believers in our glorious Lord Jesus Christ must not show favoritism. As we're going along in the book, and you've already seen it a couple of times, but whenever James starts a sentence, my brothers and sisters, he's getting ready to nail you. Just count on it. He's talking about prejudice and partiality and favoritism. The New English Bible calls it snobbery. Don't be a snob. A snob is somebody whose nose turns up when his eyes go down. Somebody who always thinks they're better than everybody else. James says don't, don't do that. Don't be that way. Don't accept people just on superficial judgments. The Good News Bible says never treat anybody in a different way according to their outward appearance. Let's face it, though. I mean, we're all guilty of judging someone based on superficial things, based on the outward appearance of what things look like. We judge people based on appearance. We discriminate often because of appearance. Beauty is everything in our world. How you're dressed influences how you relate to people. So how how do you judge people? Do you judge people, uh, do you judge them immediately by how they look? Yeah, I think even Christians get caught up in this, this dress for power and dress for success and dress to be cool. We're so concerned with what's in and what's out, what's hot, what's not. We judge people on ancestry. We judge people according to their race and their nationality and their ethnic background. It is 2018, and we still think some people are better or worse because of the color of their skin. It's insane. Insane. It's crazy. We judge people on age, they're too young. They're too old. I started preaching when I was 21. You better believe I felt some, yeah, he didn't know what he was doing. And they were right. (laughs) They were absolutely right. But then we get to a certain age, and, oh, they're too old. They can't do that. We judge people on achievement. Our society gushes over winners, and it forgets the losers. One minute you're a hero, the next minute you're a zero. As a culture and society, we, we're obsessed with celebrities and their lives. I mean, the Kardashians are famous for being famous. I mean, what kind of world are we living in? And I know I just stepped on a bunch of toes. Folks, addicted. But, anyways. It's insane, but, we, but even in the church, I mean, we, we have a celebrity culture within the church. I mean, we lift up preachers and singers and songwriters and we, that we adore them. We put them on, up on pedestals. We show favoritism based on achievement. And then affluence, wealth, money, the most common distinction. We judge people by their wealth, whether they're rich or poor, their economic status. What attitude do you have towards people who make more money than you do? What attitude do you have towards people who make less money than you do? This is the area that James picks out of all the areas that we can discriminate in. He talks about economic distinction. Verse 2 says, suppose a man comes into your meeting wearing gold rings and fine clothes. And a poor man in filthy old clothes also comes in. If you show special attention to the man wearing fine clothes and say, Here's a good seat for you, but say to the poor man, You stand there or sit on the floor at my feet, have you not discriminated among yourselves and become judges with evil thoughts? This has been called the case of the nearsighted usher. The case of the nearsighted usher. Not speaking about any of our ushers. Two guys are strangers. They arrive at the church at the same time. We know they're strangers because they don't know where to sit. First guy walks in and he is just dripping wealth. Everybody knows he doesn't fit in because in the New Testament church, all the Christians were poor. Most of them were slaves. It says he had gold rings. Literally in the Greek, it means he's gold-fingered. In New Testament times, you could rent rings to prove how wealthy you were. They would cut jewels and, and sew them on your, uh, on your clothes, real, real, just real gaudy. And see, James doesn't criticize the guy for being wealthy. He criticizes the members of the church for being partial to him. He doesn't say there's anything wrong with having wealth. But then comes in the guy who's poverty-stricken, he's destitute, and he's shabby. He's got holes in his Levi's, and guess what? He didn't buy them that way. He doesn't have shoes on. He doesn't have any deodorant, so he's got bad B.O., and his hair is unkempt. He looks bad. The usher has, made, has to make a decision. Where will he seat him? The usher takes the, front, the, the rich guy to the front row and seats him. He says, take that nice place. We want everybody to know that you're here. We want to take care of every one of your needs. And then he says to the bomb, you can stand over here in the corner or you can sit on the floor. In the scripture, the Greek literally says, under my footstool. It's the ultimate put down. He treats him carelessly. So here, look, here's the problem with favoritism. First, the problem with favoritism is just, it's just unchristian. Favoritism is unchristian. If you want to be like Jesus, you can't play favorites. We cannot play favorites. It says, my brothers and sisters, believers in our glorious Lord Jesus Christ must not show favoritism. Christ followers must not show favoritism. Faith and favoritism are incompatible. We are a family. This word favoritism is used only four times in, in the Bible. Every other time, it's referring to God, and it says God does not play favorites. Romans 2.11, God does not show favoritism. Jesus treated everyone with dignity and worth. God loves everybody. If there's one place in the world where there shouldn't be any kind of discrimination, it ought to be the church. There's discrimination everywhere else in the world. Not in the church. There ought to be one place, no matter who you are or what your background is, where you are welcome. And that place is the church. Another problem with favoritism is it's unreasonable. James says it's illogical. It doesn't make any sense. In the first place, he says, God's chosen the poor. He says, has not God chosen those who are poor in the eyes of the world to be rich in faith and to inherit the kingdom? He's not saying it's good to be poor and it's bad to be rich. He's th- he's not saying that only the poor will be saved. He says, everybody in this room, I mean, listen, everybody in this room compared to the world is rich. I was just having a conversation the other day about going to Africa, and, and uh, as soon as they see a white person, they think you're a millionaire. They ask you to send them over to America. They ask you to send pay for college. I mean, I mean... Yes, I'm rich compared to you, but I'm not that rich. But compared to the rest of the world, we're rich. But no matter what, it doesn't make any difference to God. Aren't you glad God doesn't check your wallet before he saves you? Aren't you glad your salvation is not based on your savings account? Wealth does not deserve any special treatment. Maybe the person got it dishonestly. See, your value is not based on your valuables. Don't confuse your net worth with your self-worth. It's a big difference. I talked about this a few weeks ago. I mentioned this. I drive a 2000 Ford Expedition that is less than 10,000 miles away from rolling to 200,000 miles. I could afford a better car. But I happen to over time it didn't start out this way i've come to an understanding that cars are for transportation not for a status symbol i can afford a lot of neat things but it's just it's not become my priority my net worth and my self worth have nothing to do with each other i do not get my strokes by impressing others, by wearing certain kinds of clothes or driving a certain kind of car. It's illogical, James says. Don't confuse where you get self-worth from. God chooses the poor. He doesn't expect them to be wealthy in order to be saved. On top of this, he says, the rich could care less about you. Why worry about catering to them? He says, is it not the rich exploiting you? Are they not the ones who are dragging you into court? Are they not the ones who are blaspheming the noble name of him to whom you belong? In the New Testament times, it was the Roman nobility who were feeding the Christians to the lions. James says, why are you worried about impressing them? They're They're not worried about impressing you. In fact, it's the opposite. James says, don't show favoritism. It's unchristian, it's unreasonable, it's illogical, it doesn't make sense, and favoritism is unloving. It's just unloving. If you really keep the royal law found in Scripture, James writes, love your neighbor as yourself, you're doing right. Why is it called the royal law? Because if we obeyed this one law, we wouldn't need all the rest. If we obeyed this one law, we wouldn't need to rest. Love your neighbor as yourself. Galatians 5, 14 says, all the law, all of it is summed up in one sentence. Love your neighbor as yourself. If I play favorites, I'm being unloving. The Bible says that how we relate to other people shows how much we really love God. 1 John 4 says this, If a man says he loves God and hates his brother, he's lying. How can you love God whom you haven't seen if you don't love your brother whom you have seen? How I relate to you proves how much I love God. Favoritism is unloving. We don't... But, you know, as I said in the prayer, we don't know how to love unconditionally. All we know is how to show favoritism. He goes on to say, if you show favoritism, you sin and are convicted by the law as lawbreakers. For whoever keeps the whole law, yet stumbles at just one point, is guilty of breaking all of it. How many laws do you have to break in order to become a lawbreaker? One. One. How many crimes do you have to commit in order to become a criminal? One. How many links do you have to break to break a chain? One. You ever been in a china shop or an antique store and you see the sign, you break it, you buy it? You break it, you bought it? They don't care if it's broken in one place or into a thousand pieces. If you broke it, you bought it. James is saying that people think favoritism is such a small sin, it's not a big deal. But he says, if you break God's rule, you break God's rule. Be careful, because it's serious business. He goes on to say, for he who said you shall not commit adultery also says you shall not murder. If you do not commit adultery but do commit murder, you become a lawbreaker. What's he saying? He, well, he's illustrating a point about being unloving. Co- Listen, if I come over to your house, and this is totally extreme, so just deal with it. If I, if I come to your house and I say, I really respect you a whole lot, and the way I'm going to show you uh, and to prove how much I love you is that I'm not going to commit adultery with your wife. However, if you tick me off, I reserve the right to murder you. Are, are you going to thank me for that? Will you appreciate my love? No, it's absurd. It's ridiculous. God says it's all the same. All the same. It's all important. He ends it with this Speak and act as those who are going to be judged by the law that gives freedom. Because judgment without mercy will be shown to anyone who has not been merciful. Mercy triumphs over judgment. Love treats people with mercy. Love gives people what they need, not what they deserve. James is probably thinking about his half brother, went by the name of Jesus, who said in the Sermon on the Mount, Blessed are the merciful, for they shall obtain mercy. So that's the problem. It's unchristian. Favoritism is unchristian. It's unreasonable. It's unloving. So, how do we treat people? here's the big reveal. You ready? Holding on? You love them. You love them. We love them. It's love that reaches people. You do not argue people into the kingdom of heaven. You love people into the kingdom of heaven. But how do we do that? Well, first of all, we accept everybody. Do you know why people have a hard time accepting others? Because we confuse acceptance with approval. There's a big difference between acceptance and approval. You can accept somebody without approving his or her lifestyle. They may be doing something totally contrary to the word of God, but you can accept them as a person without approving of the sin that they're involved in. Romans 15 says, accept one another just as Christ accepted you. That's a start, acceptance. I think one of the things that makes Metter United Methodist Church who we are is that we are accepting. I believe the church is a hospital for sinners, not a hotel for saints. If you're perfect, guess what? You don't belong here. This is a church where people are growing. It's a church for people who don't have it all together. We have every kind of background you can imagine in this church. It doesn't matter where you've been. It matters where you are now and if you want to know Jesus. If you want to grow grow up more and more like Jesus every day, then guess what? You're welcome here. Acceptance. Is the key. You know, I think some people, maybe, maybe, maybe some of you, are not going to like heaven because it's not exclusive enough. There are going to be some people there that you didn't think deserved to be there. But listen, if we can't learn to get along together here on earth, what makes us think we're going to get along in heaven? Accept everybody. We love people by appreciating everybody. This goes a little bit further than acceptance. Philippians 2 says, Do nothing from selfish ambition or vain conceit, but in humility consider others better than yourself. Each of you should not look to your own interest, but also the interest of others. Appreciate everybody. Find something that you can like, not just accept. And tell that person, you know, I mean, with some people, it's going to require a little creativity. may have to look a little harder than with others. Maybe you just need to value them for their uniqueness. You know, Baskin-Robbins, 31 Flavors. I mean, what if we were all vanilla? What a boring church it would be if we're all vanilla. Find something that you like and tell them. Appreciate everybody. Affirm everybody. Give everybody a lift where you can. Encourage them. First Thessalonians, encourage one another and build each other up. Listen, when people stumble, and they're going to stumble. The world has enough critics. Don't criticize. Being a encourager, not a complainer, not a condemner, not a critical person, not a judger, you can encourage and you can encourage people just by smiling. I mean, listen, one of the ministries that we have here that we probably don't work hard enough as is the ministry of greeting. I mean, there's only one opportunity to make a first impression, am I right? So, 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 what's God saying in James? The church that accepts and appreciates and affirms people is the church that God blesses. Absolutely nothing can stop a church that's filled with love. Nothing. It doesn't happen accidentally. It requires an all-out effort by each and every one of us. Everybody needs to contribute to the atmosphere of the church. And guess what? Everybody does contribute to the atmosphere of the church, either negatively or positively. So here's the question you need to ask yourself. Would people come back to this church just because of you? Just because of you? Together, we need to make a commitment that this church will receive people unconditionally. We can't expect people who aren't believers to act like believers until they're believers. Love draws outside people in. I want our our church to have a reputation for love. Here's a question that's been rolling in my mind for the last few weeks. If our church did not exist, would our community miss us? If our church did not exist, would our community miss us? I don't know. You can ask that question, answer that question for yourself, but I guarantee you, if we gain a reputation for love and all that that entails, that answer would be yes. Nothing can stop a loving church. Maybe you're a visitor this morning, and maybe this is your first time. You are as welcome here as a longtime member of this church. It really doesn't matter what you wear or your economic status or anything else. You are welcome here. It doesn't matter the color of your skin or your race or anything else. It was said of the New Testament church, see how they love one another. By this shall all men know that you are my disciples, that you love one another. Galatians 3 says this for now, we are all children of God through faith in Jesus Christ. We are no longer Jew or Greek or slave or free man or even men or women. The thing is, Jesus breaks down all barriers. And the ground is level at the foot of the cross. We are all equal in God's eyes. We're all the same. There is no distinction in the body of Christ. So, how are you today, this week, and the days ahead, going to accept and appreciate and affirm one another? How are you going to love others as you love yourself? Amen.